0: Uh, Rex, would you mind reading uh, Joshua chapter 6? We're going to jump forward to Joshua chapter 6, 1 to 7. Now Jericho was
2: shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let
0: the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. Would you mind jumping forward to verses 15 to 21? "'On the seventh day
2: they rose early on the dawn of day "'and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. "'It was only on that day "'that they marched around the city seven times. "'And at the seventh time, "'when the priest had blown the trumpets, "'Joshua said to the people, "'Shout, for the Lord has given you the city.'" But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep and donkeys
0: with the edge of the sword. Thank you, Rex. So I could have spent the whole morning just talking about military tactics found in the book of Joshua. But here we have this military tactic, march around the walls of Jericho seven days straight, which actually wasn't a um, unique tactic. The idea was to get them used to seeing you so they wouldn't expect a surprise attack. But here we see following God's instructions, this armed contingent marched around the city of Jericho seven times. Now we should mention that the weapons of the world for a scenario like this would have been battering rams, siege ramps, scaling ladders, but not here. The first weapon to be used in this new season of conquest was the unusual one. It was a ram's horn blown by seven priests in front of the altar. So these, these diagrams show that they camped at Gilgal, and then that's where they, that's where they were camped. And then they would go and march around the city for those seven days. Now, archaeologists such as this woman, Kathleen Kenyon, have discovered that the walls of Jericho fell outward, which would be unusual. Walls attacked by a siege army usually would have collapsed inward, but they've also confirmed that the city was destroyed by fire because they found pottery that was burned and lots of evidence of fire. Archaeologists also found full grain stores in the city. And over all antiquity, we would see that a siege like this would would usually last for months. And in that case, there would be no grain left. But the fact that they found lots of grain supports the biblical account in a short seven-day siege. To this day, troops in Israel study the Old Testament, the Old Testament battles for military tactics. And it was interesting because when we were in Israel, we were supposed to go into Jericho. But when I was there last month, they wouldn't let us go into Jericho because there were some terrorists in in the city of Jericho. So what did Jericho do? They blocked everybody from going in and out. They wouldn't let people out of Jericho. They wouldn't let people into Jericho. And they basically said, we're going to keep it like this until somebody turns over these terrorists. And that might've been learned from a tactic that was. we can see in Second Samuel chapter 20, verse 21. It says, but a man from the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bitri, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give him up alone, and I will withdraw from the city. And then the woman said to Joab, behold, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. <laughs> so within a few hours, A resident of Jericho alerted the military of the suspected terrorists and where they lived, who they were, where they lived, and they quickly arrested him, and then the city was open again. I just found that interesting. I found it interesting that that, they, they trained their military by studying the Old Testament battles. Back to the ways we see Jesus and Joshua. So we've seen that Joshua is like Jesus as a leader who follows God's law, a deliverer who rescues sinners, a warrior who conquers his enemies. And here, when I think about this battle of Jericho, I see him as a victor who walked by faith. He followed God's instructions and trusted his plans to defeat Jericho rather than using conventional tactics of siege ramps and stuff like that. In the Gospels, we see Jesus as somebody who followed God's instructions and trusted his plans to defeat our ultimate enemies, sin and death. Okay, uh, may I have a volunteer to read chapter eight? Let's move forward
3: to chapter eight, verses 18 to 27. Okay, Ken. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of A looked back... Behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city, and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of A, they looked alive and brought them near to Joshua. When, when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of A to destruction, only the livestock and the spoil that the city of Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua.
0: Okay, so Joshua's heart had been broken over the 36 of his men who lost their lives in the first battle of Ai due to Achan's sin, which, uh, because Achan took, took things He, everyone was told don't take any plunder in the battle of Jericho, but he did. And that caused sin, which affected their next battle. What's interesting here is after they defeat Ai, what are they told? You can take the plunder. So Achan, if he just would have waited, he would have been allowed to take as much plunder as he wanted. But anyway... So now, Joshua, what we see here is that he's praying and he's praying and God t- tells him to point his sword as you pray and I will give you the victory. The thing is, he didn't just point his sword at I and pray a quick mindless prayer like, oh, Lord, help us out here. Give us give us quick victory. Amen. No, Joshua is told to hold up and point his sword, and then keep pointing his sword, and keep praying with passion until I is completely destroyed. Does that remind you of a story that we've heard in the past? Yeah, 40 years earlier, Moses, Joshua's leader and mentor, had sent Joshua out to attack the Amalekites. And while Joshua was fighting in the valley, what was Moses doing? He was holding up his staff, right? And as long as he held up his staff, they won. But when his arm got tired, then they, they started losing. And so he actually had to have his brother Aaron and another guy hold up his arms until they completely won. Joshua learned that victory comes through prevailing prayer. And so Joshua holds up the sword, keeps pointing the sword and praying with passion. So here I see that uh, Joshua and Jesus are leaders who rely on the power of prayer. I mean, if you read the Gospels, how many times did Jesus withdraw to go pray with his father? How many times do we see Jesus praying? And if anybody didn't need to pray, <laughs> I mean, he was the son of God. He should have, you know, But but he's often going and praying. Just a side note, I think like if if you and I could experience regret when we get to heaven, which I think we won't, but if we could, I think we might regret that we didn't pray more. The founder of the Navigators was known to daily take a map of the world and he would plead and pray for God to raise up laborers and disciple makers in every nation around the world prayer. It's just so easy for us to be self-sufficient and to try to do things instead of relying on on God and, and, and being people of prayer. So that's what I see as the fifth thing. Now let's jump forward to chapter 10. Chapter 10 verses 7 to 14. Somebody volunteer to read? So Joshua
4: went up from Gilgal he and all the people of war with him and all the valiant warriors. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. And the Lord confronted them before Israel. And he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and pursued them by way of the ascent of Beth-Sharon and struck them as far as Ezekiah and Mekadah. And it came about as they fled from before Israel. They were at the descent of beth Horon, and the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died there. There were more that died from the hailstones than those of whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites. Before the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, "O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon, in the valley of Edlon." So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar that the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day? And there was no day like that before it, nor after it, when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel.
0: What a great, what a great uh, story. Joshua boldly asked God, almost, he's, he's almost commanding God for more time, for more daylight, to fight and defeat his enemies. He, he asked for this a miracle. But it's a miracle that would ultimately glorify God. Jesus did countless miracles. None of them were for show. All of them were purposeful and done for the glory of God. So here we see that both Joshua, is, Joshua points us to Jesus as miracle a miracle worker who works for the glory of God. Now, let's jump to the end of the book of Joshua. And read along with me in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 to 15. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I had to put this passage in there. So, I mean, it's just a powerful I mean, we, uh, thing. But what we see here is Joshua, like Jesus, is a humble servant of the Lord. Joshua's epitaph recounts none of his victories or successes. It highlights his faithful service to the Lord. In this, we have a powerful picture of Jesus who said of himself that he came as a servant to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the ultimate servant of the Lord who perfectly kept the law and perfectly lives for the glory of the Father. But just a caveat here, because it's important to remember that Joshua is not Jesus. He's a type of Jesus, and he points us to Jesus, but he is not Christ. Joshua was a man with flaws, just like you and I. Now, it's difficult in the scriptures to find many places where we see his sin, where other people like Abraham, we see him lying. It's very difficult to point to places where where Joshua sins, but I do think we can see some of his flaws. For example, he was deceived by the Gibeonites. The text says that he didn't consult the Lord. In In chapter 9, verse 14, it says... So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. So perhaps one of his flaws was this one time, he forgot that he did not counsel the Lord when it came to the Gibeonites. Another time, I think in my mind, that it appears that Joshua has failed, is he failed to replace himself? I mean, Moses passed the baton to Joshua. Wouldn't Joshua think, as he's getting older and older, who am I going to place the baton? Who am I going to pass off leadership to? He didn't raise up a younger leader to take over for him as Moses did. So, with that, I'll take more comments and questions yeah up here Dominic,
5: Greg, you said Joshua, and good job by the way, or enjoyed it. all the battles of Joshua and taking over canaanite land was was very interesting and something I hadn't heard really before. so he was the he he didn't consult the Lord, so what was his downfall of that the people came and they didn't want to be killed, so they brought old wineskins and food, and they were moldy and I mean, just so they can live. I, was there a downfall for Joshua not consulting God at that
0: point? Interesting thoughts. I think Joe, Joe wants to make a comment related to your question here. Yeah,
5: Dominic, Joshua was commanded to drive the people out because he was deceived and they made a truce or a treaty with the giving. He ends up having to go and fight for them and defend them. And they end up being a thorn in um, the Israelite side years later. So there was a price to pay for not obedient.
0: Lou? What struck me
5: is in uh, Joshua 21, verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to to give to their fathers. They took possession of it, and they settled there. And then... To, to make it clear, 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So that's so, so very important. You see the faithfulness of God, how he had promised them all this land, and he gave it to them, and all the promises came through. God did his part. You know, It was part of his covenant, right? He did his part. It's and It's an interesting thing to remember that. Because when we get into the New Testament, Jesus doesn't talk about the land promises at all. Okay. And there's nothing in the New Testament about that. And some people think that's a big issue in the millennial kingdom, but there it is right there in black and white that God fulfilled his promises, his faithfulness. But I think that one of the most important points you brought up was meditating on the word. And I don't think we can stress that or emphasize that enough. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's what Jesus did. If you look at, there's very little about Jesus' early life, but except in Luke. But wh- where was he? He was in the temple talking to the to all the leaders and teachers, right? And he knew the word of God. And when Satan tempted him, what came out? The book of the law, Deuteronomy, the word of God. And that's what we need to do. We need to meditate on the word. And I also thought Jim Love made a g- great point. Rahab and Ruth, the Moabitess. Well, you know they're they're Gentiles in yeah. in the line of, of Jesus, and you know it's for everyone, and that, and that's what I think is so great. You know about when you think about it, that that God has that love for all men. You know Jesus is the Savior of all the world, and He's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of all the world, and that's something. But you know, the, for us meditating in the first Psalm meditate on the word the last psalm worship and that's where we need to go from meditating to worship
0: when i was 30 years old i made a commitment to read through the bible every year by god's grace for the rest of my life i'm 55 now so i've read through the bible at least 25 times and i'll tell you every time i read through it i learn more and more and you can never master this book because it's alive
6: That's a great segue to the two comments I want to make, because it's two things I saw in this year's reading of Joshua. One, the conquest of Jericho. As you pointed out, first, Joshua sees the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Jesus. And then the way the conquest goes If you look at it, it's actually a victory parade before the victory has occurred. They go around with all the army, and they're blowing the shofar and all this. It is the same imagery that Paul uses several times of we are victory in Christ. So you have that in just the conquest of Jericho because the victory is the Lord's. The second thing that jumped out at me this time was. Achan's sin, it's like a parallel going back to Genesis chapter 31, where Rachel hides the household gods of Laban in the tent under her stuff. She's not discovered. She has committed a great sin of idolatry, but it is God's plan that she not be discovered yet. And then with Achan, It's also a form of idolatry. He would rather put his trust in this gold and silver and the booty from Jericho than following the command of the Lord. But he's taken out right now, which tells us that who are we to judge the mind of God? (laughs) Very good. Very good. Yeah, Rex. Yeah and
2: I'm glad you mentioned the Gibeonites. I think it's important too to realize that a few years later and we're going to read about it soon Saul tries to wipe them out and then when David comes to power the Gibeonites say that well that's wrong you guys made a deal with us and uh, basically Saul's family except for his one son that David the, the crippled son gets wiped out because of it. So yeah. and and I think they wanted to get the people out because they were going to poison the people and we'll see in the next chapter that Israel falls very quickly into the same exact problems that were of that land that God would wanted wiped out of that land. So I think that's a big reason on the Gibeos. But I think one thing that struck me was when he went to Ai, or when they were going to destroy Ai, there was another time. He didn't he didn't consult the Lord before that. He got an easy word. He sent people out. They said, oh, this town's small. We just destroyed Jericho. We just destroyed Jericho. God destroyed Jericho, and it's clear from what you said there. But then when I comes, well, that's an easy kind of thing, doesn't consult God. So 36 guys die, and then the heart of Israel is like melted. Oh, we can't do this anymore. And then he goes back to God. I think that happens in all our lives. You have big things where you're like, God, you pray and pray and pray, but then you forget about God when the little things come up, and you don't, re- he's sovereign over everything.
0: And sometimes it's those little things that catch up to us. Amen. That's great. Yeah, we it's like a form of spiritual pride. And then, uh, yeah, he only sent 3,000 men thinking, oh, we can take this easy.
3: But, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's really good. Thanks, Rex, for sharing that. And yeah. So I think going back to what Dominic said, as I think when you look at Joshua and you look at Moses, And you look at obedience and you look at disobedience. And I think in Galatians, when it says we reap what we sow, and I think both of those men reaped what they sow by not being obedient. And I think part of our love for God comes with our obedience. And that's our challenge for each and every one of us every single day. Like Rex says, the big things and the small things, God wants everything. And I Mm -hmm. think that's our challenge in the flesh because we're not going to be perfect with that, but we have to be consistent. Yeah, how many times have we gone to Jesus saying, hey, Lord, do this for me and I'll do this? And we don't.
1: That's true. The word.
3: And,
7: and Jesus still loves us in our iniquities. That's great. Hey, Greg, I just wanted to talk, go back to the, the commander of the Lord's army, because when he tells Joshua that I'm not for you or for your or for your enemies, I'm for the Lord. It reminds me back in Deuteronomy 9, when the Lord says he, to Israel, he says, I'm going to give this land, not because you're righteous, but because they're evil. I think it's an important thing for us to realize that when we feel like God's using us, we start getting full of ourselves. It's not because we're righteous, um, but it's because he's doing his work.
0: Amen. I'm loving this. I'm loving I'm glad that I kind of ended a little bit early. So we have all this discussion. Any other final comments? We have room for maybe one or two more before we close. Go, Jim. You go, Jim. And
7: so, um, on the Gibeonites, I, there's a couple of very inspirational stories here that are sort of granular. One is Caleb, right? You know, when Caleb is Caleb is was with Joshua and believing in God that they should go, and the other ten said no. And his spirit comes out again in I think it's chapter ten, where where he says, when they're apportioning the land, look, uh, give me the land of the Anakim right? These were the giants. And he said, uh, perhaps the Lord will be with me. You know, such a spirit of trusting God. It wasn't a sure deal in his own mind, but give me something challenging. What, what an encouragement that is. And and then I, I was I was also very encouraged that um, in this uh, struggle where the, I think it's the Amicalites or Amorites who are attacking uh, Gibeon. And Gibeon says, come help us, you promised And so there's five kings aligned to attack Gibeon. And God promises uh, Joshua, he says, I will be with you and I will give them into your hand. And then it says, Joshua marches all night to engage them in the morning. And I think a good takeaway from that is that Do not think that God will use anything other than our best efforts. Don't presume that. And uh, Joshua had a promise of victory, and he still marched all night. And we need to go. We have these promises, but we need to give God our best efforts, just like Joshua did. Very good. Very good. I had like 10 other
0: slides. I actually had a slide about Caleb. Because you ever think about Caleb? It kind of looks like he got passed over. (laughs) I mean, We could have been reading the book of Caleb. I mean, Caleb could have been the the guy that Moses passed. the. I mean, I'm sure he had a significant leadership role. We just don't know about it. But you just wonder what happened with Caleb.
1: So I love the book of Joshua because I get a lot of life lessons from it. Um, So I want to make three points real quick. There's a, a contrast between Rahab and Achan and Rahab, prostitute, fear of the lord saved her and her household. achan lack of the fear of the lord if you remember reading the whole story achan and his entire family were taken out and stoned to death the entire family kids everything else big big lesson here is the fear of the lord how powerful that is second point is rahab we when we read the story of rahab she already had foreknowledge that the israelites were coming land was, they were doomed. She knew impending doom is upon them. So I believe she was looking for an opportunity. How can she save herself and her household? Because if we go back and read carefully, she's the one who proposed the arrangement with the two spies. Hey, look, save me, save our household. She's the one who proposed it. She already thought about that. So the point that I get from this is that we should never underestimate the power of our prayers and standing in the gap, intercessory prayers for others, our family, our household, our friends, our city, our state, our country, because this one woman, prostitute, was able to save her entire family and household. And a third point I want to make real quick is, on the long day of Joshua, what I love about this is that there's no precedence for this whatsoever. Like, how did he even conceive the idea of asking God to stop the sun and the moon? And it, like, there's no precedent for it, but God answered it. And what I love about this is that when God gives you direction, he will answer your craziest prayers to get you through that point. So don't underestimate the power of your prayers and as crazy as they are. Because if God says, go there, go there. And if you need to ask him for the craziest, most impossible prayers, a long day of Joshua.
5: Very good. Very good. All right. One or two more. I think it's really telling that that we brought up Caleb because he was 85 years old and he was a a solid man of God. And he wanted to take on the giants. And, you know, this past week I was reading Psalm 71 and it made me think about the guys here. And and, uh, in Psalm 71, uh, verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. And I just think about all the faithful guys here in their 80s and 90s. I mean, you don't see that anywhere. It's just so inspiring and so encouraging to see these men live their lives of faith and still be active and serving the Lord and praying and, and meditating on the word coming and encouraging us younger guys. You know, I'm young, I'm almost 70, but, you know, younger guys, right? And, and and to see that, you don't see that anywhere. And I just think that's wonderful. And I, I, I greatly appreciate all the old folks here. I consider myself one of them, but I greatly appreciate all the old folks here. Amen. Amen. I love that. We have one more. George? When they made the oaths, wasn't it in the, when they were writing the law, weren't you bound, didn't it say if you're going to make an oath, you're bound by it? So were they allowed to break an oath if it was in deceitment or were they always going to be bound by it? That's a that's a good question.
0: I'm not sure, Larry. Would you mind praying us out,
6: dear Heavenly Father?
0: We thank you for this study. We thank you for every man here and their contributions, just not only during the week but during the study. We Lord that the example of Joshua would be one that would help us in our battles and our struggles through our life to
3: truly be men of God who follow you and help everyone here, Lord, with all this going on. We pray for the family that their house burnt down and for all the other
6: unspoken requests. We thank you for this study. We thank you for this, uh, the teachers. And we thank you for your son who died for our sins. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Amen. Judges next week.
4: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace.
4: See you next time.